Hi, this is Jason. Before we start today's episode, Jeff and I would like your feedback on our podcast. Please go to rattleandpedal.com slash survey to take an 11-question survey. The first 30 respondents will receive a $10 Starbucks gift card. Thanks for your time. Now on to the episode. Listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All right, Jeff. So the last couple times we talked, we really have been focusing on building things and destroying things. So we did a podcast on how to launch a new service, how to launch a new practice. And then we turned around and did one on how to kill one. So how to assemble something and then how to disassemble something. And then today, I guess we're going to talk about how to bolt one on. We're going to talk about acquisitions. So how to integrate another firm into yours after an acquisition. And I think we're going to talk about it from both sides, both the side of the acquirer. So if you're the marketing leader on the, on the firm that did the acquisition, what to think about. And then we're going to talk about the other side as the acquired, if you're the, the marketing leader or practice leader of the firm that was acquired, some things to think about. So to start us out, I've, I've made a list of about six things that the acquirer should be thinking about post-acquisition. Now, I'm also going to say that I'm coming into this with the pre-assumption that there's a good business case for this acquisition. That business case has been vetted. Everyone agrees, at least in the leadership team, that the acquisition should be done. Now we've done the deal or we're in the process of doing the deal. I should say we're in the process of doing the deal. And now what do we do? But we can certainly retrace those steps if we need to. All right. So my first thing is, and I'll tell a story as it relates to this, but is you need to be prepared as the marketing leader to make sure that clients are going to be contacted immediately once the acquisition is announced. Meaning that the the day that acquisition happens and it's public, you better have communications and conversations happening with key accounts within 24 hours. And the example I'll give is we as an agency, we outsource a good chunk of our human resources delivery mechanisms to a PEO service, a professional employer organization. And we had been with the same sort of regional provider of this service for 10 or 15 years. And they got acquired by a firm out of Texas. And the acquisition was announced. It took the, the firm that did the acquisition almost two months before they made any outward contact to us about what was going on. But within 24 hours of the acquisition being announced, I got sales calls from every major player in the industry. So your your competitors are going to be all over this window of opportunity and they're going to come in and they're going to shape in the minds of the clients what this means to them before you get the chance. So you better be ready. And it was tough. So to me, you have to have that value proposition ready to go the moment that thing goes public because you better believe every competitor under the sun is going to use this window to, to navigate their way into every deal they've been working on for years. So that's my first piece of advice. Oh, that's a great piece of advice because these acquisitions, particularly from a marketing perspective or a buyer's perspective is how does it impact me? What does it mean to me as a client? Clients aren't going to care about the acquisition at all in terms of strategic value or stuff like that. They're, they're going to want to know, like you probably did, how is this going to interrupt my business? And the way you described the competitors coming in, you know, they're trying to sow fear, uncertainty and doubt, right? Yeah. These people aren't going to be serving you. They're going to be focused internally on integration. They're going to be, you know, combining systems and their service is really going to suffer. And you got to get out in front of that. You're you're spot on. 
spot on. It was, it was alarming in that instance how quickly the competitors seized on it. I mean, it was amazing. And it, it was amazing that if you think about when you're doing an acquisition, you're really buying a client roster. And it's it's alarming to me that you would find yourself in a situation that you're fully aware of the acquisition is going to happen well longer than anybody else. So how on God's green earth are you not poised to make those contacts and touch points faster than anybody else? Now, again, maybe they had a prioritized list and we were just low on the list because we weren't seen as a strategic account in the acquisition. And that's understandable. But you need to know that's what's going to happen. Right. (laughs) There's no excuse for that, particularly given an understanding of how fast communication flows and the power of marketing automation and CRM and the ability to hone in at scale and get those messages out. There's no reason that a delay should exist like that. All of that stuff should be preloaded before the triggers even even pulled. Yeah. And I should clarify, we did get that email, right? We got the email, hey, this acquisition has happened. Here's what it means, blah, 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 blah. But we didn't get a phone call from anybody. Um, And to me, you need, you know, in a a business to business service like that, and we have all these professional services firms that I was presuming we listen to our podcast are, you need to be on the phone or in the office, especially for a strategic account. So, you know, the first thing that came to mind. And this may be far on your list as well, but the flip side, of that same coin is you need to be reaching out to your employees because there's going to be a lot of uncertainty and doubt among your employees. And they're going to be asking, well, what does this mean to my role on both sides of that equation? Who am I going to report to? Am I still going to have a job? Those are important questions because we're in a knowledge business and we don't want to lose people and recruiters will be attacking the firm, looking for people that want to jump because they don't want to play in this chaos either. Well, it's interesting. And that's on my list. And I agree. Simultaneous to that story, we had been working with a community bank commercially for years, and they went through an acquisition in the exact same month. And that's essentially what played out there was that the people that you were servicing the accounts at the front really didn't know what was going on. Like There was just not good communications, to your point, not necessarily about their roles, but how things were changing in terms of how they service their customers. And so we were trying to get things done and they didn't have any answers and they were getting frustrated and they couldn't articulate those things. And that's a huge problem, right? Because in that window, all the trust that had been built up over decades of working together was eroding quickly. So what you just bought, all that goodwill you bought is eroding because you're not communicating to your your people, you know, how things are going to change and what they need to do to navigate through that. And it was pretty funny to watch actually in hindsight. The other things I had on the list was just, I guess I said, do your research from a brand perspective, which was just, you know, we taught, I know the, the lens for this a little bit was how to integrate an acquisitions brand. And to me, I think the first thing you need to do is be clear on, well, how visible is this brand that we've just acquired and what is it relevant for? So a lot of times we find ourselves as an agency in conversations between acquired and acquirer around the strength or relevance of a brand. And I'm sitting there saying, I don't think your brand is nearly as valuable as you perceive it to be. And I think the marketer on the acquirer side needs to have good data to back that up to say, well, this brand is really strong here or here so that they can make good decisions about you know the plan for that brand, how long it's going to live on, when it's going to sunset and what that looks like. So that's my point number three, I guess, of some of the things we talked about. That's a great point. I like what you said about 
what the marketer needs to bring to the table. And it's about objectivity. You need a third party to assess that strength because when, when these acquisitions happen, you're probably going to have some clause in the agreement that the former owners have negotiated a, about the brand or the name of the firm. Yeah. So the name going to stick around or go and Oftentimes, the acquirer will say, okay, well, we'll keep that in order to feed the ego of the people that are being acquired or appease the ego. And it's important to, to understand the agreement. So as a marketer, get your hands on the agreement so you know what you can or cannot do from a legal standpoint. But if you bring the objective data, then you can negotiate around time frames. Yes. Yeah. All right. We're going to keep the name, but we're only keeping it for three months or six months or 12 months based on objective brand strength. And you have to have data or it's just going to be pure emotion and you're going to get bogged down. Yeah. What I like about so much about what you said is the notion of just having a documented shared plan that says this is when this is going to happen and what it's going to look like. We got hired by a client years ago that did an acquisition up in Wisconsin. And they asked me to come up there to with them to really spend some time with the acquired company and talk a little bit about what the plan was going to look like to go forward. By the time we got there, it's like the ball had been dropped so long, there was no plan. And when we, when we got there, the people that had were the, the, the people, the marketers inside the acquired entity were beyond frustrated, right? They were angry and angry at us. And because there was no plan. And so the, the need to have that very clear plan. I would also lump in there. I, I always say avoid awkward co-brands if at all possible, meaning try to avoid that period where you're kind of using two names together. Uh, if you're going to pull the rug on this thing, just pull the rug on it as soon as you can. That's my two bits. That's a great point. And I'd agree with you. Faster is better unless that brand has incredible strength that you need to milk out of it. And whether that's, you know, Combining two logos together, which would not be the way to do it. Or, you know, if there's a subtitle to, you know, the acquired brand or that brand's name exists, but now it falls into your logo identity or some other treatment in that regard. I think it's important for everybody to be on the same page, but you want those steps to be as few as possible because... You're going to have people saying, well, where's my cards? Where's my office signage? Where's my, where's my letterhead that reflects that? So each little logo tweak, somebody's going to want something. So I think it's better to have fewer of those and move as quickly as you can because it's going to be more cost effective and timely. I think also related to that, Jason, and again, this one may be on your list. One of the things that I've seen often missed is where's the ultimate end point for that company? Does it become part of an existing practice and name and everything goes away? Or does it become a new practice because it represents a new competence within your firm? Or does it become a sub capability or or solution within your brand framework. I don't think most people think in those terms of where's the final resting place in the brand architecture for this acquisition service or capability that we acquired. So you have to think through that because it's going to be a negotiation because there's going to be an earnout for the seller of the company 
So there's going to be a P&L probably associated with it and some key performance indicators. You'll have to keep those in mind too as you migrate that brand entity into your own. Yeah, I agree. The one thing I wanted to jump on that you said that I thought was really important was that to me, you need to be patient but firm, meaning that you've got this plan for when you're going to make these changes and when you're going to you know, sunset brands or make changes in how it's organized or roll it into the certain practices. And the, the leaders of the firm that has been acquired are going to be resistant to that and they're going to push back and they're going to come up with a million reasons why you shouldn't do those things, even though you know that they're in the best interests of the new, greater entity that is this combined firm. And you need to be patient and listening to what they're saying, but you have to be firm in your conviction of what needs to happen. Because I've seen too many marketing leaders sort of get walked on in that regard. And they make too many exceptions for things that really aren't that important that the leaders of the acquired firms, like you said, are really important to them, but they're not important to the market or the clients. And you want to avoid that as much as you can. Mm -hmm. That's good feedback. All right. So I'm down to one. I got one more on the acquirer's side, and, and it's really simple. It's just listen. <laughs> the, the thing I've noticed a lot of times is that when a larger firm acquires a smaller firm, there's this belief that we kind of have all, it all figured out. We know everything, and, and, and this is a smaller entity, and they're not as sophisticated, and they don't know that much. And there may be some truth to that, but a lot of times the smaller organization is more nimble. Sometimes it's maybe even got stronger capabilities in certain areas, maybe inside marketing teams. Or maybe they operate in geographies where things behave differently or practices that behave differently. So listen, because you don't want to dismiss really good insight that you're getting back from these, this, this team or these people you acquired just because it doesn't fit with your worldview. We've seen that happen a lot of times. And there's a delicate line between some of the things we talked about, the acquired firm pushing back on things where they're, they're probably wrong, and yet the acquired firm bringing new ideas to the table that are actually better. And you have to be receptive and try to pull those in when you see them. That's a great point. And you, you know what? That point really surprised me coming from you because it really speaks about humility. <laughs> what was that? I, didn't know, I don't know what that word means. <laughs> no, but it's interesting because I have watched that play out a lot of times where often smaller organizations, that whole notion of sales hacking and marketing hacking like that, they found workarounds for things and better ways to do things that large organizations, quite frankly, usually don't. You want to absorb those if you can. So mm -hmm. that's a great point. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. So now I've got a list for the acquired. You want to go through the list for the acquired? Sure. One you brought up before, and I, and I held off on it because I thought we would just sort of keep it structured. But the first one is I think you need to check your ego at the door. I don't care what the transaction looked like and how much goodwill was bundled into that deal. I can pretty much promise that if you just got acquired, your brand is not nearly as strong and as great as you think it is. And you need to be humble quick and recognize that it's likely that your brand is not more valuable than the one that the firm had just acquired you. And so for you to get rolled in under, uh, you know, as you described earlier, a practice or whatever is in the best interest of the long-term entity. And you just need to sort of flow with that. 
we've just seen so many instances where the acquired firm is essentially fighting that. They're fighting to keep their name on the door. They're fighting to keep something that really just doesn't have as much value as they perceive it to have. It would be better for everyone involved if they just said, yeah, you're right. We sold to you for a reason and we want this new entity to be as successful as possible. So I talk about what you just described in a piece called When It's Time to Reinvent the Firm. And what happens when firms take on a new strategic direction or reposition or get acquired like this, it's really hard emotionally for partners because it marks the end of an era and it starts a transition. And any transition is coupled with grief. And that may seem weird when we talk about an acquisition, but the fact of the matter is the people that will be coming in need to go through a grieving transition and dealing with this because it's going to be hard emotionally from them. And as an acquirer, if you can just keep that in mind and give particularly the older partners time to transition and grieve through those steps. It's not like losing a a parent or a spouse or something, but it really is important to do what you just said, you know, give them time to come through and adjust. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about the emotional turmoil of that. And my sense is it's important to celebrate as well in that window. I mean, because if you're, like you said, if there's all this emotional turmoil around the transition, then celebrate the successes of what 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 transpired. You know, you've done something amazing to get to this point. And now you've made the decision to exit. So now celebrate that or maybe not exit to fold into something greater and bigger, whatever. And so that always helps to to move through those transitions, I think. I've never sold out, so I don't know. But but, uh, it's interesting how we use the phrase sold out. It sounds like such a negative thing when it's it's not. It's it's your exit. You're you're, you're changing course, whatever. You're moving. It's another great phase of a firm's life. Mm-hmm. The second thought I had was just to be open and flexible. I mean, it's a two-way street. I mean, I mentioned this earlier that the acquirer needs to be open to listening to new ways of operating that the marketing team or really any team in the in the acquired firm has brought. The acquired firm needs to do the same. The acquired firm can't be stuck in its old routines and saying, well, this is the way we market here. This is the way we do this. And I, I reject your new ideas because it just doesn't work for our market. It doesn't work that way here. Chances are good. There's a ton of learning to be had that the acquired firm has or the acquirer has. And if you don't listen to it, you're probably going to find yourself out of a job, you know, or quite frankly, maybe the real issue is you're not going to progress and you're not going to perform as well as you could be. You could be doing way better than you are. So maybe that's a better way of looking at it. I think that's another good one. My last thought was just be a resource. You're one firm now, you know, so it's, you want to look for ways to create the synergies that the acquisition was supposed to create. So try to identify ways to leverage the resources of the greater whole to your existing client base. Be that resource that that's proactively trying to make those things happen. You know, as the marketing folks or the leaders in that acquired firm, try to make those things that everybody wanted from the acquisition reality, force the case a little bit if you have to. But too often, I, I just, when we've been through this, we've watched firms get acquired and it's like they're resistant to introducing the new offerings that they now have to their client base. And I say, well, that's the whole idea. The whole idea in the first place was to get access to that client base to bring them new sources of value. So why resist that? Enable that to happen. 
be proactive on it, be a, be a resource to make it happen rather than a resistant force to avoid it, which is what we see more often than not. That's the BS of PS at work right there. Yeah. Because you have these two entities coming together, you're going to be working with essentially strangers. And in professional services firms, you know, people don't want to put their client relationships in jeopardy by introducing someone they don't know that could spoil their client relationship. So to the degree that as a marketer, as a practice leader or managing partner, you can accelerate the development of trust. And trust doesn't come with superlatives describing the strategic value of the acquisition. It comes from interaction and shared experience. So getting together and and sharing those stories and collaborating on things that may not be specifically client specific is going to accelerate that. And if you already don't have a culture that trusts one another, even before the acquisition gets there, you're going to have even more trouble. But give, again, people time to develop trust. Don't just send them out immediately to clients. It just doesn't work. And But that's what you're going to be tasked with is get out and start selling this immediately. And you have to do that in a smart way. Yeah, it's funny as you're talking. I, this image of the St. Louis Arc appeared in my in my mind, and it's sort of how I perceive that when acquisitions happen, relationships are made. Meaning that these two entities have been brought together. The leaders at the top have made connections, and they're aligned, and they have a lot of mutual trust. Everybody else has just been tossed into this thing, really without with limited knowledge, and maybe even against their will. They're like the bases of the arch, right? Mm-hmm. And now you have to find a way to bring them together to your point, because they're the ones that are going to make this thing or break it. And when the acquisition is happening, they have no relationship whatsoever. No matter how much time the leaders spent together, there's no relationship inside these organizations. And so there's going to be a lot of trust building that has to happen at lower levels inside the organizations. I mean, to just I think through all the acquisitions I've ever seen or been a part of, either as an agency or through whatever, just that rarely happens. And that seems to be the biggest missed opportunity is forcing ways for the, the that trust in those connections to be made. Absolutely. Again, and this is true of most acquisitions, at least in my experience over the years, firms focus on the financial dimensions of it. They don't focus on the people dimensions. They say, oh yeah, our cultures are so similar and it's a, you know, we're complimentary in our services, blah, 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 blah. It always comes down to the money. And like you said, you're buying a client list or, you know, some kind of brand equity or something and the people are always an afterthought. And as a leader, you have to make sure that that doesn't happen. You, you just can't because you're going to lose lots of good people and that's really what you're buying are the people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're buying the people and the relationships they have. Yeah. And you're, so your job really is to, is to invigorate them to be a part of this new entity and, and help take it to new levels. So related to that, I want to throw out a couple of others that I think are relevant and they're kind of interrelated to, to the marketing people. You're going to be tasked with brand identity and brand name types of stuff. You have to get through that stuff very quickly, very quickly and get it off your plate. People are going to want their cards. The website needs to be updated, all that stuff. I get it. Get it done as quickly as you can. You as a strategic marketer needs to shift your focus to a couple of other key areas. The first one 
is the intellectual capital of the acquired firm, white papers, case studies, products, solutions, and going deep and understanding what's available in that arsenal and how can you leverage that in building brand relevance for whatever the final brand is. It's going to come out of, out of that store, if you will. And you need to reconcile that against your own and come up with a plan for how you're going to integrate it and exploit it quickly. The second is CRM. If you're buying client lists, you need to get those datas combined in those CRMs and reconciled and assigned to owners. This is going to be another one of those political issues. Who's managing, you know, the biggest accounts and how are we going to transition? That's going to be a lot easier if you have one reconciled data set. And I can assure you that either both CRMs are going to be a mess or one's going to be impeccable and the other's going to be a mess. And you got to have somebody assigned to manage that project so that you can leverage the knowledge that exists in those CRMs. Or, you know, maybe all they use is Outlook. And if that's the case, you got to develop a strategy to start sharing those relationships um, along with the building the trust. And then the, the, the third thing that I'll say, and Jason, you alluded to this about getting out and selling, you really should have a toolkit, a sales toolkit related to the acquisition and the service offerings that really is a smorgasbord for how people sell. So you need to make sure that there's key messages that everybody understands. So they're singing out of the same hymnal, so to speak. All of the presentations or collateral that you're using is flexible so that you can change it as, as you're moving along. But, you know, you need, because people are learning here, the acquirer and the acquiree need to know what's available from each other. What sales sheets do you have? What white papers do you have? And reconcile those in some form or fashion. Some will go away. Some will be kind of co-branded. Some will, you know, be some other combination of it. But you got to be on top of that as well. None of this is going to happen unless you're leading the charge on it because nobody's going to be thinking about it. They're going to be thinking about the financial. They're going to be jockeying for title and position and power. (laughs) And all the rest of this stuff that's client-centric is going to go away. So you have to take the lead on it. Those are really great words of advice, and they are going to be the words we close on. So thanks for giving some very practical, actionable things that the marketing function needs to take ownership of to close us out. And I look forward to uh, talking to you next week. See you, Jeff. I see you, buddy. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Hi, this is Jason. Jeff and I would like your feedback on our podcast. Please go to rattleandpedal.com slash survey to take an 11 question survey. The first 30 respondents will receive a $10 Starbucks gift card. Thanks for your time.